2: And then, and then it was eerily quiet. And then my mind was kind of
3: like, you know, the head in the fishbowl.
1: But it takes me into the bathroom and says, "This is how you brush your teeth: brush, rinse, repeat. Brush, rinse, repeat. Brush, rinse, repeat." But there were two girls,
0: and it was like he'll have to give us a ride. He can't fill us no. He can't refuse. He'll let us in his car. Thoughts were all alone.
1: this doesn't look right. They got close enough
0: where he said he could see, you know, their eyes and, and how intelligent they seem. This doesn't look
2: right. These gremlin-type creatures. This doesn't look right. No pupils, no iris. Three fingers, three long fingers. And this is when the mental
3: door in, and, and then it was eerily quiet.
4: Welcome back to Conspiranormal, Normal, guys. This is your friendly host, Adam.
5: Friendly is relative, bro
4: friendly's relative. Yeah, it's all relative,
5: man. <laughs> He's
0: your friendly relative.
5: <laughs> How you doing, Mr. Rob? I am wonderful. Festival season is upon us. I'm trying not to get stressed out. I'm I'm just I'm going to to center yourself. Yes, yes. that's right. I'm find Are you my happy place. Your chi? <laughs> My my power animal, or what was that?
0: <laughs> it's a squirrel. A squirrel, yes. yeah.
5: <laughs> Ross has been battling the Illuminati
4: squirrels lately. Serfiel, how you doing, man? I understand you dug up a crypt today. Yeah, in, uh, I, was, I was
0: disappointed. Uh, we didn't find anything. Uh, you didn't find you didn't find any Masonic
4: uh, imagery down there or anything? No, no, just some old concrete slabs. Uh, okay, I got gotcha. you. Well, guys, uh, we're going straight into the guests as we've been doing the last few shows. And I'm excited about this one because we're going to talk tonight. We gave a little bit of a preview last time with Tom and Jenny from 13 O'Clock Podcast. But we're going to talk about the smiley face killer, our killers. Um, and we have on the line uh, a repeat guest, William Ramsey, and also uh, a new guest, Jim Smith. Guys, welcome, uh, William. Welcome back to Conspiracy Normal. Jim, welcome to Conspiracy Normal.
1: Thank you, thank you, Adam. Appreciate you having me.
4: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Jim, uh, we haven't had you on before, as I said. So I'd like to kind of get you a little bit of your background and kind of what brought you into this interest of researching this uh, phenomenon of the Smiley Face Killer. Ah, oh, well, yeah,
1: that's that's an interesting question. Um, you know, I, I learned about this, um, you know, I guess probably about 14 years ago, to be honest with you. I was at, fresh out of college, and I, I, I'm from Georgia, and I went to work in Minnesota um, for a couple uh, months. And I learned about this by accident literally sitting in the hotel lobby and there being a story on the morning news about to go to work in this hotel lobby packed full of people about the third young man they had found in the river um, up there. And I had actually just been shown the same part where the guy was found, um, by a, a coworker what was showing me around Minneapolis and how beautiful it was. And, um, uh, that's, that's the first time I, I, I learned about this and thought it was interesting. Um, and you know, um, gosh, a couple of years later, it really blew up on the TV and I saw, um, Professor Gilbertson and, and, um, Detective Gannon on Fox news and they were talking about all these young men and the smiley face killer. And that was the the first time I had heard anybody ever use that term.
3: And, and William, how about yourself? How did this become an interest yeah. for you? Yeah. Thanks again. I, I had you, I was on mute, so I apologize, but thanks for having me back on your show. Adam. Absolutely, sir. I, so anyway, but I, I became interested in the topic while researching my last book, which was uh, Children of the Beast. It was about Aleister Crowley and all the people he influenced in the 20th century, and I kept seeing all these smiley faces pop up from a variety of different people, Um, people like Alan Moore and a guy by the name of Genesis P. Orridge, who was in kind of an occult-influenced band. And so from that is what kind of led me into uh, just kind of interwoven with this notion of smiley face killers, which I would heard about, I I kind of understood – that you know this kind of events had happened in the past and i wanted to kind of figure out what's this happening now and so probably early 2016 was when i really started researching and the first case that came across was a guy by the name of joey LeBute out of columbus ohio and he disappeared out of a bar in the short north part of the northern part of the downtown area and i said to myself this guy shows up in water it's going to be just like one of these other cases, and about 19 days later, he showed up. He showed up dead in the Scioto River, in a kind of a very uh, place where there really wasn't any current. It was it was an eddy outside of the main river, and I was like, okay, this is this is one of these types of cases, and that's really where I hit the ground running. and And over the 2016 is when I kept running into. Uh, Smiley, this guy on Twitter, Smiley Face Cold, I didn't know who it was, but, you know, and I've run it, there's other research as well, but Jim, and that's how I kind of met Jim, was just kind of through a slow process of him and I realizing these cases were happening at the same time. And so that's how he became the main researcher on the documentary Smiley Face Killers, who was was abducting, (laughs) torturing, and murdering college-age men in the U.S. and U.K. So what is a
4: typical uh, example of one of these cases? What usually happens
3: in one of these? Typically, it's always been a young man, and and Jim uh, brought up the really the first researchers who are Gannon and and Gilbertson, and Gannon had a partner named Duarte out in New York, and they really wrote or wrote really the seminal book, which is um, case studies in drowning forensics. But it's always the younger man out late at night, almost exclusively. Like all these cases are all happen at night, maybe with a few exceptions. But the main general. Uh the MO is out late at night, disappeared, usually missing for a longer time than he should have been found, and then found in water. Maybe uh, you know, some of us are just as short as the next day, but usually it's an elongated amount of time past when they should have found him. And oftentimes, as uh, probably at least 10 and 20 cases that I can name off the top of my head, the young men are found in a place already searched, either by sonar, by by land. I mean, literally searched, and you can watch it and you've seen the movie. You can see that they have the underwater teams on people like Wilkins and some of these other cases, uh, Wilkins out of Bristol, UK, where they're clearly, you know, looking in the air pond and then he shows up, you know, two weeks later. So those, those those are what would be styled, the smiley face killer phenomenon. And it's associated, got that name because some of these cases, the early researchers found the, typically it would be a spray painted smiley face of some style or nature close to it. And Jim and I have talked about it, and we've, we've come to think that it's kind of a semi-misnomer. I mean, even though the smiley faces are associated with the cases, you could take that that kind of uh, imprint away, and these cases would still fit that same type of sure, phenomenon. That, right. And disappear. right, yeah, agreed.
4: What's the age range usually of some of these victims?
1: Like, Jim? What's the low you-
4: end and what's the high end?
1: You know, um... I debate this with people a lot. I mean, I've seen cases uh, that I could show each one of you guys where the youngest is, there's been a handful of 13 and 14 year old young kids. Um, but most people think it's just college age kids, but a majority is between 18 and I would say 35 is the majority, but you will find some people on the, on the older end, And you, and the earliest, you never see children ever, but 13, I've seen a couple times, 14, 15, a couple times, 16, a couple times. Um, But 17, 18 through up to 35 is the most.
4: Okay. Okay. So so in the documentary, I noticed that there weren't anybody, I think, I would think under the age of 18 was included. Was that you know, a choice to not include those or?
3: You know, I, I had to really one of the challenges of looking at these cases is really parsing through a far larger pool than the ones even I put in the, in the film. So I really wanted to focus on cases that have been studied by Gannon and Gilbertson and the recent cases. But all of those cases that I uh, had in my to a T, all were found in water. So this is like I, I covered probably 40 or 50 people found in water, but there's clearly could be even a larger pool of potential victims. Um, not uh, not from the same type of killer. I I narrowed it down to this MO being learned and distributed through the internet throughout the world. So that's why I believe that these cases all have those similar characteristics.
4: Okay. And what's the general geographic area of the country that these these cases are falling in?
3: I mean, it's usually in, in bo- bodies of water. So there's actually a lot of cases, and Jim really opened my eyes to this. There's a lot of cases in California. There was a lot of cases recently in Oregon, Portland, even up to Vancouver or Washington that have not really been put into the kind of research school well, that other researchers have looked into. But I would say that they're typically in college-age towns. There's, there's, there's definitely hot zones, New York um boston was incredible it was really across across wisconsin minnesota mm-hmm. uh, so and then it's happening in the uk and the more that i've studied there was just a recent case out of poland there was another one in hamburg so it's happening all over in the uk as well i mean it's just if you keep there was a guy by the name of Piotr kajanka who missed was missing for two months in poland and then liam colgan was a uk a man from the uk who disappeared in hamburg he was missing 10 weeks Search for over and over again, and then found in the river. So, um, it's hard to say. I in my in my documentary, I include, uh, include similar cases that happened in Spain, even Thailand. So it's hard to and there's Canada too. Jim knows a lot about Canada cases as well. Okay,
4: so it's, <laughs> uh, even though you had so many cases in the in the film, you, you probably would have made like a it, the the movie probably would have been like a week long if you read right.
3: everything. No doubt. I had to excise a lot of information. I mean, I I tried to be be as information dense as possible for the documentary, but I really feel like there's at least another three and a half hour movie to be made, if not two more, because of all the other cases that have happened in just even recently. Uh, Jim, I'm sorry I stepped over you there. What were you going to say?
1: I I was just just following, just commenting on what William was saying just about Canada. Like Canada has been very active this year. Really? Um, very. Yes.
4: Okay. So the one thing I kind of want to get out of the way, and we, we pitched this to our guests last week. They have a podcast that deals a lot with true crime and with some paranormal stuff as well. Uh, but that's some of their specialty on the podcast. Um, and we asked them about it, and they were kind of of the opinion that this is kind of like a statistical anomaly, uh, that it, young men get drunk, they fall into a river, and they eventually wash up. So what would be the case, uh, to make the case that th- that is not what it is, that, it, that, it, that are, there actually is something more nefarious going on?
1: That's a good question. William, you want to go first?
3: Sure. Well, I would say that I tried to show conclusively, and I think I did in the documentary, that not all the victims are drunk. You know, if you look at some of these people, they're clearly, whether it's Kelleher's walking upright, whether it's, uh, some of these other guys, who, uh, there was, uh, William Purley's not drunk. You know, some of these other guys are, are Zach Marr. They're clearly upright. So, and, and they supposedly drowned, especially these cases out of Boston, the St. Charles river is basically a pond. There's a, you know, a dam there, it's basically a lock that keeps the tide from, I mean, the the current from moving, so you have to think that these guys somehow were were able enough to walk close enough to the water and then lose consciousness and drowned in some of these in some of these uh, very still areas. So um, I, I think that. You know, Dakota James is another example of a case out of Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where they have pictures of him walking and texting at the same time. And this guy, he disappeared for 40 days. Where was he 40 days? To standard, yeah. and these are pretty objective scientific facts, that if a body drowns, typically it'll surface three to seven days, in, except in extremely cold weather, and uh, on the coldest of weather, somewhere between 20 days. So why is Dakota James missing for 40 days? So I think that there's a lot of cases that— uh, the evidence clearly shows that they're not fully incapacitated by alcohol. Sure. Uh, Jim, you have anything to add to that? or? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love
1: it. I love being asked that question because, um, you know, the evidence is out there. I mean, look no further than my Twitter account and what I've been doing for four years and about how many missing cases that I immediately tweet out or post about men that have vanished and how I will say, this guy's going to be found in water And and over and over and over and over and over and over again, the men are found in water. The proof is up. I've let the tweets are up. I mean, I'm not making it up. You can look for yourself, but that's just one example. Another example is, you know, men who are missing like Dakota James for 40 days and have only been deceased for a couple days um Right. no explanation um right. or you know the taunting signs on on uh, social media there are cases where men are making cryptic tweets or facebook posts um unexplained um men mm. who are great swimmers sober uh, lifeguards right um, who drowned, you know, or areas that are searched over and over and over again with sonar yep. and dogs and divers?
3: And Dakota the, Dakota James is a perfect example because I showed in my documentary that they the police were asked right there in the conference when they found his body, when was it searched? And they said this just this last weekend. He I think he showed up on a Monday morning, so I suspect his body was put in there Sunday night, a very quiet time, which makes sense.
1: Yeah.
4: Has anyone ever encountered anyone throwing a body in? Has there been any witnesses that have said that they saw somebody that was suspicious around the area and then afterward the body was found? Not to my knowledge. Um,
1: Yes. Um, There have been cars. There have been vans in cases. Um, You know, not necessarily as much, but there have been cars caught doing strange things before a young man has been abducted. That's true,
3: what is it, Anthony Urena?
1: Urena, they had two cars, you know, he starts walking down an alley, and I mean, these people are smart, these are not dumb criminals. These people are being taught a protocol to follow, and they know where the cameras are. It's not by accident that these people are being caught. I mean, people disappear right out of, as soon as CCTV is out of range, and people are gone, never seen again. been cars caught um but again nobody's investigating no one's following up no one's getting the footage um there's a lot a lot more is out there but if you as long as it's not they're never going to find it
3: that's a great that's a great point Jim because in my documentary I bring up the case of this one homosexual killer by the name of Port who was using GHB and they found that he was tied to at least 4 deaths but when they went back through, he, they found out he was involved in long-term criminality that involved dozens of young men. But the the only reason he got caught is the family demanded to see the CCTV, and they yeah. asked the police, who was that guy with my brother? And the police didn't even know. So it's just—and now there was an inquest in the U.K. I don't, the results, I actually think, have come out within the last month or so about the incompetence of the police in dealing with that case. And Port was highly suspicious. He killed people and dumped them in the same church ground, and nobody thought that that was suspicious. So, there's a, hmm. I mean, I think that's an exemplar of what's possibly happening. Well, I think it's an exemplar of the larger issue of what's happening with these young men's deaths.
4: So, let's talk about some of the first cases. Um, when are these first cases? And uh, I want to particularly focus on a couple that were in New York, in New York City. Uh, cases where pretty much the two men, their bodies ended up in the same area.
3: Right, that was Patrick McNeil. And, do you remember the other guy's name, Jim uh, Falcon. Falcon. Yeah. So they Falcon. were both in the in the water tr- uh, treatment facility.
1: Yeah, so many. I know what cases you're talking about. That's also another common theme: is that the same area areas have multiple victims um, you know there's been others in that same area Adam that you were talking about in fact Anthony Urena, that we were just talking about with the cars um, he was found in the same area 10 years later you know
3: yeah the Patrick McNeil case is often I refer to it and I think somebody else did his victims here zero one of the earliest victims college student I think he went to you know uh, NYU. NYU anyway, or something like that. This is nineteen ninety-seven. Yeah, yes. ninety-seven. Okay. Um, was walking down the street. Witnesses saw him vomiting, incapacitated. A car was following him. He disappeared. Ended up in the water treatment facility down the Hudson River in uh, the Bay- New York Bay or whatever it is over there, downstream. And it took like five or ten years to- for the family to obtain the autopsy report. When they did. And this is all detailed in case studies and forensic drownings. When they did obtain it, they found out that their son had been tortured with what looked like a blowtorch on his upper body. And there were there were there was evidence that showed that he had been restrained, you know, so like he was in a chair or something like that. So, um, yeah, that's a remarkable case. Adam
1: Falcon was the other gentleman
3: a year uh, later, almost a year later.
1: Yes.
4: And what was the specifics on his case?
1: he it's hard to remember exactly because there's so many cases but he was right. a New york student um, was on the soccer team was last seen at a bar you know a, a superb athlete, very smart you know um, upper echelon just of young men and vanished from a bar out and um, found in the river pretty much very close I believe um, pretty close to where McNeil was who so that's again yeah. that's what they call him victim number one. Um, I I tend to disagree a little bit with that. I mean, I've seen a couple cases in the early 90s um, that are the exact same. Not very many, but it seemed to really explode in 1997-98.
4: Hmm. I wonder what was going on then that uh, made that happen. Well, I think that, that time,
3: it was – ad- advent of kind of the internet taking shape uh, communications stuff like that I think that there's something going on with those types of uh, some type of communication through you know message boards or something like that
4: there's also a big cluster of them in Boston Uh, I want to talk about some of these cases as well um, because you make a lot of good points about those in the documentary William
3: thanks yeah, I mean, the Boston cases are remarkable. That's definitely a nexus point. There's been very recent cases, notably Zach Marr and a guy by the name of Kelleher, both uh, close to downtown. There was another one that that was uh, William Hurley was a notable case, but there's a whole bunch of others. But the Zach Marr case is pretty disturbing. He's out at a bar in, uh, I think it was one of the oldest bars, if not the oldest bar in downtown Boston. There's just... Uh, Reports that are different. He said he told his family that he, the, the bouncers wouldn't let him back in. Mm-hmm. The restaurant disputes that and supposedly walks over and drowns in the same area that they find the body of Kelleher and uh, Hurley, which is uh, was it the St. James River. But, the, you know, that's a very suspicious case, another missing for a longer time. Kelleher was the same thing. He was last seen at uh, Paul Revere Park on the north side of the river after his the cell phone yeah, his, after the Boston Celtics game there's pictures of him walking, he's fine. His cell phone pings south of the river, last thing going south um, and then disappears and then somehow his body is found back north uh, again. So yeah, there's there's yeah, there's a lot of cases in Boston.
4: Which was the one where the girlfriend was literally right around the corner her just William spoken Early. to him?
3: Okay. And
4: she had just spoken to him on the phone oh. and then he is just gone.
3: Yeah. I think this was the one where the cell phone was smashed. I found the cell phone smashed. Hmm. Yes.
0: Yeah.
1: There's, There's been a bunch. You know, you what you were just saying too about um, Zach Marr was that when Kelleher uh immediately went missing the first place the Boston Police Department started searching with sonar and boats every day was exactly where Zach Marr was found dead
5: mm.
3: yeah, and I show in the documentary the background of uh you know what this the river looks like it's basically a lake so you know it's uh it's kind of silly another one of the cases that I include Jim and I went through one time in our talks and gave a top twenty or top 10 cases, and one of mine was another one out of Boston by the name of Franco Garcia that we have a lot of evidence about. Um, he was seen on a CCTV walking upright, so not drunk, not slobbering, disappeared. They checked the uh, the reservoir over by the college that he went to. Uh, the reservoir was checked. You can see it on the, in my movie. They're checking the reservoir, and then they find his body. Somebody, a jogger, is able to find his body later in the same <laughs> reservoir that was checked Um, From the sidewalk. So that's a, that's an, uh, I think that's a very important case to show that these guys are not drunk. They're not stumbling into the water.
4: Um, So, yeah. And it's (laughs) very odd because you have very still water and you have this section where they're speaking to his parents and his mother, I guess she makes this comment that I believe my son is alive somewhere. But you can see the water in the background, and it's very still, and you can see that there's all these people out there searching for him. Uh, It doesn't seem like it's that big of an area to Mm -hmm. be searching because you're in the middle of a city.
3: Yep. No, there was a huge search. You know, they they were out giving out flyers. It's very common in a lot of these cases because the families don't see that this is part of a pattern. They all go out. They get huge search parties. They put out flyers and pamphlets through all these polls, you know, on all kinds of utility polls. Same, same thing happened with Zach Marr. And, uh, you know, they don't know. But I think for me that the mother, there was such a heart-rending statement by her that I included it twice in a very long documentary. But I included it twice because I think that she intuitively keyed into what yeah. was happening without ever – doing a you know a kind of expansive study like I you know me and Jim have both done
4: and how many days between when he was disappear- he disappeared and then when he
3: was found I'd have to I have to look that up I, I can't remember I think it was let me see Franco Garcia It was over 2 weeks Okay two weeks. that's a long time Oh yeah he should have you know they should have been able to uh, find his find his body before then
1: I mean, that's a great thing you bring up, too. You know, there's a lot of studies about it's pretty much science about the temperature of the water and how when a body decomposes and if it's actual drowning victim and, and about a timetable about when people um, actually surface. Yeah. And it goes against all that.
3: Franco Garcia disappeared February 21st, 2012. His body was found on April 11th, 2012. So, roughly mm-hmm. 40 days, which, uh, you know, 50 days. So, he was missing for a long time. Wow, okay, so almost two and there's months. A, there, there is a kind of, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the, the the autopsies have not been made public. You know, they're not public, so you don't know what the state of the bodies are in. And some people have disputed, how do you know all these bodies or people are tortured? Well, if they're being kept somewhere uh, without, you know, being able to leave, they're being tortured. So they may not be physically tortured, but if, I think, in th- almost, yeah, I don't want to give away the kind of closing part of my documentary, but, you know, there is... Yeah, these people are. I think a lot of these people are being held alive. I,
1: I have, I have evidence of from families who have given me autopsies um, or who have spoken to me about trauma on victims, severe trauma that's not reported by the police or the media. Um, that 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 is absolutely confirmed. Um, or. No. Others other times where again, men aren't haven't been deceased for as long as they've been missing, or they don't have any water in their lungs, but yet they drowned. Uh-huh, um,
4: uh-huh. Which, yeah. if they were in water, there should be water in their lungs. That would make sense sure. yeah
1: if you, if you actually drown in water the, the the reaction that you're having to drowning is to inhale. Right, because you're not having it. So you should have water Correct. in
3: your lungs. Yep. Um. Yeah. I mean, there's one case. Like, there's another Nas Rahimi, Mohammed Rahimi, kind of close to where Jim is. He was a perfect example of somebody who'd been yeah. beat up. You know, he was in bad shape. Um, no so, alcohol. Yeah, no alcohol found in a river. Super sketchy story of the people around him. Um, yeah. So
4: that was the one case in the documentary that was in atlanta jim have there been any others in in your area
1: oh very many a lot uh, over 40 wow uh, yes young, young men i mean we've we've had up until recently we have three young men missing here right now um huh. bam. oh
3: yeah it, it's interesting you bring up that number jim because last uh, in the last episode of conspira normal uh, the guests t- said, oh, there's 30 or 40 cases. And in the, the Discovery ID show that recently covered the Smiley Face Killers, they both said the same thing. Well, we've studied 35 or 40 cases. That's way, way too low. They're not. There's so many more cases than that. It's at least 200 150. Oh, 200. yeah,
1: there's two. there's 40 in Atlanta, 40 in Minnesota, 40 in New York, 40 in Chicago
3: 60 in Sydney, there's cases all over and, and, and that I didn't even touch in Australia. Australia. There's problems in Amsterdam. Amsterdam, oh
1: Pittsburgh, Boston, San Francisco, Seattle. Yeah. I mean, it's –
3: There's five bodies they've never found in San Francisco the young men are missing, but I think the water there is something really
1: uh, – Well, they found a interested. lot. They, they, they didn't found a lot of know. men in the ocean there in San Francisco. Oh, and yeah. I mean, California Five is what you're talking about.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: All young men, they all look the same, all disappeared downtown by the wharf.
3: Yeah, so it's a, that number is way too low. I mean, I'm saying 150, that's conservative. Oh, def more.
4: So Minnesota and Wisconsin also seems to be a cluster, as you guys said before. Yeah, and there's, there's one case that is particularly, I think, one of the eeriest ones. And I wanted to ask you about another one that, uh, that I didn't hear you guys talk about, but, uh, the case of Todd Geib, 2005, I mean, this is, uh, this is really unsettling.
3: Yeah. Western Michigan. Yeah. Michigan. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. That's Western Michigan. That's one where they found the smiley face. He was at a party. Yeah. That's disturbing. That was one where they almost caught the, the perps. You know, I think that there was like evidence of a boat. He was found in the middle of a lake. Yeah, leaving a party.
1: That's it. That's yeah. it. That's in uh, case studies of, in drowning yeah. for instance. Gilbertson again, go in detail and talk about the. Uh, you yeah. know, um, he he was lived near Half Moon Lake. That's another.
3: Yeah, con- there were a couple cases oh. over there. Yeah. So I pulled something. And there was up. that one case, Jim. You you uh, noted which I didn't put in the documentary it was Finnerty it Was another. He was what a top class, a B class uh, football.
1: NFL class. quarterback.
3: Yeah, quarterbell. Yeah. Really? Pretty Western. That was Western Michigan. Yeah, but God was the curious one because something like two years after he died, they found a smiley face on his gravestone.
4: Yeah. yeah. That was interesting. Yeah.
3: And uh, like I said, very unsettling. But, well, is, Adam, you know, I tried to discount the, the involvement of the smiley face in these deaths, and I sure. couldn't discount it because I found them. In some of these other cases, Zach Marr, somebody found one, Deacon Wilkins. Um, it's recent cases. So and they're all spray painted, believe you know, so it's all spray painted stuff. But um, I, you know, I kind of went through an exhausted and within an exhaustively research documentary, I went through and showed all of these occult references of the smiley face, you know, that are around. So uh, it is something that's used in Acid House music and uh, this kind of underground And uh, still to this day, you'll see it on celebrities and people like that wearing iconography like that.
4: Well, I wanted to read this about uh, the Todd Geib case. Um, This uh, paragraph here, I pulled this up. I did a search on him today. And this is Casanovia, Michigan.
5: Mm
0: -hmm. Rob,
4: are you familiar with that place? You're from Western Michigan, right? Is that Western Michigan? Yeah. Nope. (laughs) <laughs> never heard okay. of it. Rob's from Manistee, so I don't know if that's close to where he's from or not. I think it's close to Grand Rapids. So, this uh, well, God was last heard from during a series of cell phone calls between 1247 a.m. and 1257 a.m. on Sunday. At 1247 a.m., he called the friend who had driven him to the party to say that he'd had enough and was walking home. He then called a friend at 12.51 a.m., but all he said was, I'm in a field, before the phone call cut off. The friend called back and heard only what she thought was either breathing or the wind before the call ended. The phone was then used twice over the next few minutes in an attempt to call the friend back with a last attempt ending at 12.57 a.m. guy's phone was not used again after that. Neither were his credit cards. And then we- it said the area where guy was last seen was thoroughly searched three times, During one of the searches, an estimated 1,500 volunteers as well as aircraft searched the area around the party site. Nothing was found. And then three weeks later, on July second, two 2005, Todd Guy's body was was discovered in a remote pond near the party. It was reported, according to the couple who found Todd, he was standing upright in open Hill Lake. They remember it distinctly because his head and shoulders were sticking out of the water. With a blood alcohol content of .12, the cause of death was ruled drowning. The manner of death was ruled undetermined, and so the Michigan police closed the case. So in that one, there's actually kind of a you almost have a witness to it because he's on the he's on the phone,
3: right?
1: There's been other cases like that where victims call. I can think of multiple cases where the victims are calling family um, late at night in in a taunting manner, and people hang up. Something happens to them. They hang up. There, there was a guy in um, Minnesota. Was it Minnesota or Wisconsin? And a, a gentleman was dropped off, and he called his wife, and he left a two-minute voicemail of him screaming.
3: Yeah, that's Henry Henry
4: Yeah, I was going to ask you guys about that one. I noticed that I was thinking that that was going to make the documentary, but as, was there a reason you I, he did guys end end left up in that water? One?
3: Yeah, good. Well, he, he, mm-hmm. he wasn't young enough. I mean, I I he could have gone in. There's a lot of people who kind of, he could have gone in, Finnerty could have gone in. I literally just tried to make it, I got to the point where it was just too long. I no, mean, I,
1: yeah. that area was searched too. I mean, bring that up. I mean, they were were you were t- there's documented evidence by his family that that area where he was found in the water was searched multiple times.
3: Dude, um, Finnerty or McCabe are both, actually, right?
1: Both McCabe yeah. and uh, Finnerty. But, you Finnerty
3: know, was he was found actually fairly close to Manistee, probably. 15 miles away. I think it was Reed City or something like that. Ball oh, yeah, there. yeah. <clears throat> Finnerty, Finnerty
1: called his wife in a panic saying yeah. that two men were chasing him. And this is a guy that's 6'4, 250. He's the biggest victim I've ever seen, but I believe him that somebody was chasing him. Um,
3: he was found face down.
1: Yeah. Not far from a road. You know, his phone pinged 11 miles north um, from where he was. Yeah.
3: Uh, that's
1: right. Pretty impossible.
3: Joey Labee was another one. He sent some cryptic text that they said it was it was garbled, but his family, it was like G-S-T-I-O-N or something like that. So, you know, there's been these strange activity among these cell phones of some of the victims.
1: Um, how, about, how about Mason Cox and David Wood here in Atlanta? They were two best friends um, near New Year's partying on Lake Lanier. They vanished. They were found a week later in the same area where they were. They both drowned. They both had trauma. And the last post on Mason Cox's uh, Facebook page, I have a picture of it, uh, when they went missing at the exact same time they went missing, said, I'm not afraid of death. I'm curious of what's next.
0: crazy.
4: Whoa. What's going on?
1: That's
4: not my house. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> that must be not something there, with that must be something the- with LA, man, because uh, one of our yeah, good friends, Greg Bishop, he he's in LA. He always talks about sirens going on when he does his show. So um, well, No, that happens. But uh, yeah. There's one again. there it goes. That's two cops. Uh-oh. Uh oh. It's LA. <laughs> I muted I it. Well, it sounds like that in Nashville too, so I don't, yeah, don't worry about yeah. too much. There's constant sirens going on around here too. At least, the,
3: at least it's not a ghetto bird. You know what a ghetto bird is? What's a ghetto bird? That, okay. That's a chopper who's chasing down one of these cars that's on, a, oh, on escaping. They call it a ghetto bird because it just flies over. Yeah, it flies over LA. That's uh, kind of an urban term for a chopper. <laughs> I was curious, William.
4: Um, I wanted to ask you this because is there you know, being someone that, you know, you, you look into a lot of esoteric stuff, is there a ritual significance
3: to these guys being put into water? I think so. I think it's very similar to a lot of different cases, and my studies have indicated that um, you you can ritually drown somebody. And uh, it's I've come it from a variety of things. It's actually similar to what happened in West Memphis Three. Two of the young boys were drowned, bound and drowned. Um, so... Uh, I, I do think that there, at least in some of these cases, something like that, that there, there is some occult aspect to some of these cases. And I think I showed that in the documentary, like some of these people are clearly occultists and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I definitely think that there's something there. Yeah.
0: And there, there was a, this is serfiel You said there was a, there's some victims who displayed that they might've been, um, tortured with a blowtorch. Well, at least one.
3: The guy that I talked about was McNeil, but there was a couple other. Tommy Booth was another one. I don't think he had a blowtorch. He had scars of like somebody put out a cigarette on his hand. And I think he had broken teeth, but he was another one who disappeared out of a bar and really a sketchy background. That was one of the case studies in forensic drowning cases where he had told his family, like, I'm hanging out with sketchy people. I want to get away with them from them. And then he turns up in a place, again, previously searched. It looks like his body had been dragged and. He had clearly been beat up or something had happened to him. But he, the time of death, I think Gannon and Gilbertson ascertained the time of death was sometime within the last 24 hours and he was missing for eight or nine days.
0: Because there is the concept of, uh, I guess, ancient Celtic origins of the threefold death, which would be uh, three elemental ways of dying. Like, so if someone was burned with a blowtorch, you have fire, and then they were obviously dead. Uh, drowned or put into water, maybe that might have something to do with some of that. Well, it's it's definitely if you look at some of the some of the stuff
3: that I've researched, Kenneth Anger and Lucifer Rising—they're clearly drowning uh, personified human beings in water. There's all kinds of ritual things that's going on that I can't say I fully understand, but some people have tied it into, you know, this whole thing within um, Antinous and the, the Emperor Hadrian, the Roman Emperor. Who either ritually drowned or killed his gay lover in the Nile, and so you know you, mm. you, you, there, there might be something strange and, and esoteric or occult like that. It's hard to say the totality of what these people are thinking, but I do think that these are most of these crimes are have uh, you know a strong homosexual bent. You know these are not they're not financial crimes. None of these people ever have. Their money stolen or anything like that. So everything else is going ever, yeah. So it's clearly something else is going on. If that's where, it's kind of interesting because it doesn't seem like anybody's emphasized that on these smiley face killers. That these are all good-looking, healthy, young men. You know,
0: so. is there any Almost. autopsy information that has come forward that would suggest uh, uh, sexual abuse?
3: Not to my knowledge. Okay. Although I think on the. um, on the Dakota James case, they got the that famous. Uh, oh, here comes another police officer. They got the famous forensic pathologist Cyril Wecht is supposedly working on that case. I don't know how he's finished his own independent autopsy yet, though. Hold on, just a sec.
4: That's the, uh, the 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 national. Something's
3: going on. <laughs> there's never been. An, I've
1: never seen any anything to say that there's sexual assault. Um, talking to families, victim victims, families, or any cases I've ever read.
2: Interesting.
3: Yeah. I, I I have no, there's no evidence. I can't think of anything that's evidence that they, they were, there's evidence of sexual assault. doesn't mean there isn't any, you know what I mean? Right. And it
0: doesn't have to be traditional, uh, you know, mm-hmm. if it's a sexual nature, of course, it doesn't have to be. Uh, in these type of situations, the traditional sexual acts—I mean, there's torture and all kinds of things that can be sexualized too. So these people, so
3: there was a very in- somebody brought this to my attention—a very interesting case that's out of Australia, and it was—I can't believe it—but there's another police car coming through. Something. So there must have been a huge accident. We got some serious action yeah, going on is here. Tonight. Definitely going down. Yeah. Oh, t- Hey. that's like the fourth that's like the sixth one I can't believe it there was an interesting case that was out of Adelaide in um, in Australia and they called it the family murders and the reason they did is because there was abductions of young men uh, centered around they only busted this one guy his name was he had a German name it was like Balder Vaughn something the family in Adelaide but they had um, killings of young men even some young boys 14 or 15 year old but they were taken and sexually tortured. They were missing for a period of time, and the bodies were placed all over Adelaide, and only one person got caught, but there were other witnesses who saw people driving around in a car, that he was with other people, and there were other kind of elite, not elite, but doctors and other people who were implicated in the family, but never got convicted. Only one guy did. And that case, I think, is probably something very similar to what's going on. It's interesting, too, that you... On your last podcast, you talked about Herb Baumeister Uh and the supposed ghost at his place. But this is a homosexual killer as well. Who you know they don't know. I don't. They don't know the totality of how many people he killed. But he had at least twenty bodies or something like that, right? Wow. You there? Yeah, we're here. Yellow. Okay. Well, like Herb Baumeister. So yeah, these are tying.
4: Yeah, I mean they they found. I think they said that they were like eleven bodies possible total. But they were scattered throughout the entire uh, the entire property, so they really they don't know honestly how many it could have been. And at the same time, uh, Bowmaster was that was going on. There was also this i seventy killer that was killing all these people, and it was all around the same area of Indiana and uh, Ohio. And they've always thought that uh, Bowmaster might have had something to do with that, but. I think it turned out to be another guy. But it really makes you think that, uh, you know, obviously in these cases, if it's happening throughout the country and in the UK and throughout the world, that you're dealing with like a whole network of people that are doing this.
3: Yeah, I'd never have thought that it was one independent core. It's groups and individuals. You know, my conclusion is that it's an M.O., that people have learned um, and yeah so you know my, it's interesting too you bring up I-70 because at some time in the early analysis of the smile what's known as the smiley face killings there was a tie in to I think the I-70 like they thought that somebody attached to that freeway was going between Minnesota you know Wisconsin
0: right? Pitch yeah. water, all
3: those places so that, that it's much broader than that
0: and perhaps I mean, the bodies gonna... being disposed in water is a way of uh, recognizing each other for these people. Perhaps.
3: You know, there might be some copycat thing going on. I think there was some copycat uh, things happening. There was a a young girl who was dumped in the river in in Sacramento that Jim and I talked about we thought was a copycat-type death, even though it wasn't a young man, you know. But, uh, yeah, I mean—
4: well, that raises still- an interesting question, uh, uh, because I mean, obviously, this is focused on men, but have there, have there been many, any, or any similar kinds of deaths involving women as well?
3: There was one that I thought of was the this killer out of Truth and Consequences. He he called I think he was called the Death Box Killer or the Happy Box Killer, where he would go to the same bar and he had women who would help him drug and then abduct these women and torture them in some kind of torture chamber. And he, they don't know how many, and then he would bury the bodies in the desert. They don't know the totality of how many he killed. I wish I could remember his name. There
1: have been, there are a few women cases. There is no doubt. There's one here in Athens, Georgia, and it was um, a student at the University of Georgia in Athens, and she disappeared on the way home from the library And she was found like two days later in a creek nearby, and she had no sexual assault, no trauma, and that her cause of death was an overdose of Robotussum. I'm not kidding. And her cause of death was hypothermia, not drowning.
4: Have there been any guys that
3: you would say that they might have had a close call? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. I get, there's a, yeah, go ahead, Jim. Sorry.
1: No, no, no. You go ahead. I was, I was, there's, there's probably been off the top of my head probably been 10 <laughs> I can think of. And this is all over the country. In fact, there's one man here. I won't even mention his name, but he was a, he was a student here at one of the main colleges. He was an engineer and he vanished after leaving a frat party. This is three years ago. And he was found and he, he was found on the train tracks um, had severe trauma but he has no recollection for 60 hours. He never found his phone he had his wallet a um, lot of strange things how he was found was that they were pinging his phone and they were able to it led them to that area but they never found the phone.
4: Wasn't there a guy, I think it was it oh man, was it Oregon or California? It was earlier this year. He disappeared from a ski resort. Yeah. And he showed it. up somewhere else with no memory of how he got there.
1: California. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he said he was drugged, but I don't know if that's I don't know if that was connected
3: or not. I did include in the documentary that one guy out of Boston who was drugged and then was found in a tunnel underneath the roadway. Do you remember that? That was a case that Jim told me about, but uh, yeah, so that was one guy who probably got away. The guys, the guy who was the serial killer, I'm trying to remember his name was David Parker Ray, known as the toy box killer. They think he might've killed between 40 and 60 women. So, you know, when they find people who are doing this type of murder, they're going to find, yeah, I mean, there's serial killers are out there. I can assure you. And uh, I would encourage your listeners to be very aware of their drinks and, just because you're man doesn't mean you can't have your drink spiked. But there was a couple cases, and the names I can't remember. But there was a guy who wrote something on one of the message boards, I think on WebSleuth, who told his story about how an older guy came up to him, got real friendly, and uh, he thought maybe that his drink was spiked, but he felt like he was getting uh, profiled. You know, the guy kept asking him questions, "Who are you here with?" you know this kind of thing and so i think that that's kind of the dynamic that happens in some of these bars is these young men don't know what's happening that somebody's you know trying to uh, suss them out figure out who they are you know and uh there haven't been it hasn't been anything like you know uh the silence of the lambs where somebody famous has gotten abducted um and i think that that's somewhat there's another there's another police car it must be a huge accident (laughs)
1: What about the guy in Boston, though, uh, who who was out on 420, and they found him in the walls of the tunnel?
3: Yeah, that's the guy I was talking about. What was yeah, – I can't remember his name. but I yeah. not even mentioned his name. And he went to court, and he said, just be careful. Watch your drink and don't get drugged. Don't get your drink spiked. He didn't look like he was guilty. He didn't feel guilty about anything. He was like, sorry, judge. I don't know what happened. You
1: know? Yeah, he, they, they arrested him immediately when yeah. he was rescued, and after they – I mean – after as soon as they rescued him, they arrested him, and then he immediately passed out. Um, and you know he he could, he had to be rescued inside of a tunnel. Um, he couldn't even get out. He was having to yell for the police officers to even hear him. He had no
3: recollection of how he got there. Yep. Um, and this is shows that there's some kind of uh, drug drugging happened, whether it's GHB or roofies or hypnol. You know these people are being drugged. There were a couple guys, and this is covered. In case studies in forensic drowning there was a couple guys who got drugged and ended up in the hospital and couldn't remember I think one lived and the other didn't I can't remember the name of their story but that kind of thing was covered and there was also stories within case studies in forensic drowning of young men being stalked you know there was a guy telling a story he thought he saw a truck following him and he had to run you know so these there's a lot of sketchy stories of you know people who who didn't get killed.
1: Yep. One of the guys of the California Five that we were talking about in San Francisco told his family members on the phone, I think two guys are following me. Yep. Never, They've never found him.
3: Mm. It was the same out of the case out of Thailand. Um, his brother I talked to, I can't remember his name, but it's the same thing. I'm being followed. My drink was spiked. And then he was found in water. Whoa.
0: I'm kind of ignorant of a lot of forensics, um, but is, is it like very efficient to, uh, you know, throw someone in water? Is, will that erase a lot of like, you know, any DNA evidence or is it, is it would it be efficient to uh, someone? I would
3: think so. I think that it, the water is, you know, does uh, erase things. I, I heard it doesn't get rid of fingerprints entirely, but it also, I think it's confusing authorities. They don't know how these bodies got there. The people actually right. come to the conclusion they're drowned. I think that that's the, the current law enforcement position on all these deaths is they are accidental drownings. And, you know, that's just hogwash. It's nonsense. Um, well, but
1: you bring that up. That's a very important point about law enforcement and how they handle a crime scene compared to when someone's found in the water. Because if someone when someone's found in the water, it is a recovery. It is not a crime scene. Um
3: Good so point. very little
1: evidence is is found or looked even looked for by the police. They don't look at it as a crime scene. They look at it as an accident and want to um you know get the body out of the water as fast as possible.
4: No, that's a very good point. Because they're not yeah, it's the, they're not looking at it as a murder at that point.
3: Right. Yeah. And there's something about the geograph geography of these deaths is like um there there's, there's hot spots, but, you know, at some places there's not as many. So I don't think the cops have really keyed in. And there are other researchers who have kind of come in and looked at these deaths from a very uh, specific or or small geographic region. There's a guy out of Manchester. They call these types of deaths in Manchester the pusher. There was Elise Soper who talked about the Boston deaths. She wrote an article on Cryptid Aquarian. And she was, you know, a blogger, but the, her, that article blew up at 2,000, 3,000 comments. Worth reading if you're a researcher, because all these people are adding their information onto her blog. And I have did an interview with her, Elise Soper. You can check it out on my web, uh, YouTube channel, William Ramsey Investigates. But uh, so there are other people who are looking at it. There's other there are, and the people trying to figure out. I think they realize that, you know, something is amiss, that these are not accidental deaths. Mm-hmm. Gary J Manchester Gary J. he's actually working on a documentary right now, so yeah. keep an eye on that. He was the one who told me about some of the deaths in Amsterdam. so he's he's looking at it from a different perspective. and there was a recent case there that just happened this year, a guy by the name of Blackburn um, who walked out of a bar, you know the same type of same type of case you know walked out of our bar young man, searched, looked in the locks that are all around Manchester and then all of a sudden he just magically appeared in the pre-search area.
4: You're talking about the geographical areas, and one of the things I was going to ask, I was thinking about as we're talking here, since you know, there, there seems to be, and if there is some kind of occult significance, what about ley lines or places of power that this could be uh, something
3: like that? It's possible. I mean, I've talked to another F- ex-FBI agent, agent, a guy by the name of John D'Souza, who says that yeah. these guys are being sacrificed to dark gods? That's really what's happening. That's a pretty, you know, so, you know, an ex FBI guy says that's what's happening. I have no evidence. I do have evidence that some of these people are cultists, whether what their purpose is. Like I said earlier, I've seen in multiple, whether it's Kenneth Anger or these other cultists, this type of bounding and drowning is happening. I've got other people I don't want to mention, but yeah, there's evidence that that's, that's the truth. I put this, the king of witches, a guy by the name of, um, you know, there's two different witch, witch groups. There was the Gardnerian, and the other is the Alexandrian. And that Alexandrian, I put up a video of him performing this kind of witchcraft ritual where he's bounding people, and then they ritually drown this idol in water. You know, so why are they doing that?
4: Any, any kind of insight on that, Jim? Do you have anything to add to that?
1: Um, you know, not not really. I mean, um... I agree with what William's saying. It's just you know I don't I don't know I, I see I've seen evidence a lot with the moon, um, hmm. you know. But as far as rituals, it, a lot of the stuff is very. It seems that way in some of the cases. Just because um, it seems like dates are very important. Um, the moon cycle in some cases, um, you know, the end of the month every month is yeah. always busy. That's another reason how you can tell something's going on. End of the month, you- Halloween, New Year's, Christmas, yep. right? I mean, even the statistics back up what 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 William just said too about you know. There's been studies and about majority of the men who are found in water were during the winter months, and it starts in October up into Halloween, all the way in through after New Year's, and pretty yeah. interesting.
3: Yeah, I mean, and I think there's been bodies dumped on Christmas Day, kind of mockingly dumped. So, those are that's happening.
1: Anthony Arena, who we were talking about in New York with the cars that we keep bringing it up. He was found on Christmas Day.
3: Yeah, in a puddle of water. His family said he was in like three feet of water on the other side of Manhattan. He was last seen on the eastern side and ended up down closer to Hoboken. There was a hot spot of all these bodies found around Hoboken. Yeah, so yeah.
4: The significance of the smiley face. I want to talk a little bit about this with you, William. Um, the kind of the occult significance to that. Because you, normally when I think of occult symbols, I don't really think of the smiley face.
3: But you do some interesting work in the documentary, kind of tying some things in. Right. I mean, I think that it has an an esoteric, you know, there's, there's an exoteric and an esoteric meaning. I think that smiley face is a happy, but among the occult, I do believe that it represents... And you can see this in in Moore's The Watchman. This comedian starts off the thing. It's all just a big joke, which is a theme of of kind of cruelly that the universe is a big joke. And these kind of chaos magicians. You see the smiley face featured in the kind of uh, cult segment of uh, Fight Club, you know, when they are doing their Operation Mayhem. Um, So you see this all, and I include that in the documentary. So you see it from a bunch of different angles, I believe. That that's what that signifies, and it's used, and it goes back into some of these occult fluence bands that go back to the acid house scene. And that's really where you know the gestation of the usage of that symbol comes from. Does it have any antecedents in occultism? Not to my knowledge, I've seen it used by Burroughs, and okay, a lot of these guys are William Burroughs, he was a homosexual who believed in like a homosexual cult, and you know. If you look at like some of the people I feature in the documentary, they're big Burroughs admirers, right? But yeah, I mean, you, you, and I included. It's almost in so many movies the smiley face symbology. Even the most recent iteration of it included at the intro, one of the characters making a smiley face on a window pane. So it's you know, and it's actually at the end of the first season of Stranger Things before the demo Gorgon comes out. Um, <clears throat> the smiley faces on a chair. I mean, it's all over the place. At very interesting moments, the real thing. You know, I saw the smiley face not just on Alan Moore stuff, but at the very intro to David Bowie's last uh, last work, which was what was the name of his last album? It was Black Star. Black Star. At the yeah. very beginning of that video, go watch it. There's the smiley faces on the lapel of this, you know, uh, astronaut that supposedly represents. Uh, Bowie, Major Tom, right? So in that whole thing, that that Black Star video is a masterwork of occultism, mocking Christ and Islam and all this stuff. You know, it's it's amazing. It's and so the smiley face is there. It's there in very notable figures that use it.
4: Jim, uh, we were talking earlier about before we started the interview about the Atlanta child murders, and since you're down there in Atlanta, uh we talk about some of the connections uh reading a book about uh serial killers and there was an interesting passage that was in it but uh do you see any connection between that and uh because you know Wayne Williams um he was caught because he was trying to throw a body into the river
3: uh-huh
1: yeah i don't think there's any connection to be honest with you um totally different younger children Uh, These are all pretty much African-American children. Um, No, I don't, I don't, I I personally don't see any, any connections.
4: Okay. Well, what would you say gentlemen about uh, what guys can do to make sure that this doesn't happen to them, that they need to be as careful about what they're doing just as women are careful.
1: Oh, for sure. Maybe, maybe even more these days. Um, William, what do you
3: think? I'm sorry, I missed that last last question. Can you say that again? Well, what's people what guys can do to be careful? Oh, right. Well, you know, just the same thing women do. Travel together. Don't leave your friend behind drunk. Don't get drugged. Don't trust people who want to give you a ride. Um, You know, some of these, like Scott Radel out of, what was it? Radel was uh, one of the cases in either Minnesota or Minneapolis. They think there were guys traveling around literally hunting people. And that's what his father said. So, you know, you got to really be careful. And a lot of these uh, murders have happened at after events, whether it's a sporting event or a music event. One was Jimmy Slack, another one out of Pittsburgh, a very, another case where they searched the area, didn't find his body. And then he showed up in in the river. Um, So you really got to, just got to be careful. And uh, the, the younger men college age are a target. And I think that the thing is that they don't realize it. They don't realize it generally that they could be a target for nefarious purposes. Um, I do believe that. Yeah. I mean, do the Joey LeBute case is interesting for a lot of reasons, but what was happening that weekend was the um, Arnold Schwarzenegger mm-hmm. weightlifting competition or Mr. Universe something. I forgot the name of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that they, that within that pool of people, You will probably find one of the SFK murderers. Um, That would be my suspicion because I think that these crimes are tied into the mobility of the modern age. And um, that's just my kind of suspicion about a lot of these cases. Somebody's traveling somewhere and leaving and not leaving a trace, you know, Um, so. Uh, you got to really be careful. It's really dangerous out there. I don't know what, you know, I think that uh, people, women can get drugged and men can get drugged too. Yeah,
1: and that there's a very strong we're...
3: correlation of drugging with all these cases, a lot of them. Jenkins and just goes on and on. What, what about
1: bring up while we're talking about this, but let's talk about the apps being used to meet and hook up with people
3: yeah, great, about great. how
1: it looks like a lot in the last two years, maybe that a lot of victims being found in water are going to meet people, and people speculate they're hooking up with people on Grindr or these new apps that you can for you know anonymous sex, um, and how men aren't even having to be violently abducted; that they're walking into a trap. Um, yeah. it seems that's, to be a new seems to be a new trick
3: that's being used. Yeah, it's a great point, Jim, because there's the cases Dakota James and Joey the Butte are perfect examples. People are on their phone on hookup apps, you know, um, there was a, what is it? Barrett also out of is that Pennsylvania somewhere. Oh, Barrett yeah. was on his phone. So all these guys are on their phone, you know, tinkering around. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, that's uh that's a great point.
4: Rob, was there anything that you wanted to ask? You're just kind of silently listening, so.
5: Yeah, well, like like I said, I didn't know a lot of the uh, intricacies of this case, so I was really looking forward to, to delving deeper into it. Um, I mean, I want to thank you guys for coming on the show, first of all, and um, no, I, I I need to I need to actually go back and watch the the video because I I haven't had a chance, and now I'm now I'm much more intrigued.
3: There's a lot more cases, I think, than the public knows.
5: Yeah, I was under the impression that it was.
3: I I think, unfortunately, Gilbertson and Gannon wrote that first book, but they kind of did. You know, I called Gilbertson five times when I was making the documentary. I never was able to get a hold of Gannon. I should just call him, but, you know, there's a space there that, you know, dropped off with with the researchers. Um, So uh, there's a really good website. Drowning at the river's edge—is that right, Jim? That's one is. Uh, foot, footprints at the river's footprints, edge. Thank you. So there's a lot of cases out of that, but uh, you know, it's it's still happening. You know, it's still this this phenomenon still taking place. There's no doubt about it. So I think uh, I was hoping the documentary would show that it's a much larger issue than uh, the public is aware of.
4: I've I've always heard about evidence on the on the dark web about this. It, has there been any specific cases about like where th- I don't know? Maybe these rumors and maybe these murders have been put on the dark web, or the planning has been put on the dark web, or
3: I mean, I I speculated about that, Jim. You yeah. want to talk about that? I, you know, I've 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 heard people
1: speculate about it. I've I've never seen it, but I'm not very techn- not You know, not into that. I don't really. Maybe you know I, I get it has to be somewhere online where these people are learning this because there's too many. It's not just coincidences, you know. We you were talking about how many killers, but you know there are many cases in the past few years where there are multiple victims on the same night, same different states, different countries. Um, so you know I know to answer that is maybe, but I I, I don't know anything about it.
3: Sure. You know, I did cover in the in the, the documentary this 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 kind of water torture that takes place within some of these kind of kinky like uh fetish sites and stuff like that. So I do think that that there's some kind of underground on the web that exchanges this type of information. Whether these cases are being traded, I don't there's no evidence that I could ever see that they were ever being filmed or anything like that. So I, I'm not aware of that.
4: Yeah. Scary stuff, gentlemen.
3: Very no, scary. No, it's happening, man. It's yeah. really bad.
4: And, and uh, William, you sent me not too long ago, actually this weekend, you sent me that there was another case of a young man that just disappeared.
3: Right. That was one in Illinois. That uh, that was an Illinois case. His name was Kyle Rogers out of Belvedere, Illinois. He's at a concert, went to a bar, went for a walk, found dead in water a week later. So that's a recent one. There's Charlie Pope. That was March 3rd, 2018, at a gay bar in Manchester called The Zombie Shack. There's Duncan Sim disappeared in St. Andrews, Scotland. A lot of Scotland cases, actually. There was a lead singer, which I haven't determined what the story is, but he was fairly close to water. Yeah, Yeah. that was Crying Rabbit or something like that. Yeah, uh,
1: Frightened Rabbit. Private Rabbit. Scott Hutchinson. And uh, interesting, no no mention uh, of the cause of death.
3: Yeah, nothing. Um, Pretty interesting. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot, a lot of these statements. One thing that's really common is like the media will just jump to a conclusion and say there's no sign of foul play or no the foul play wasn't suspected or all this stuff. And it's like these are really suspicious cases. How can you say that right away? And uh, D'Souza actually had a very good talk about why these cases are being covered up for a variety of different reasons, because they don't want to panic the public. They don't want to panic. The colleges don't want to panic the parents that there's a problem. A lot of these guys are college students you know um or post-college dakota james is a graduate student so they don't want to pa- they don't want to create a panic among the you know citizenry that there could be an issue so a lot of these cases are i mean especially boston could you imagine if there if boston people came out and said hey there's a serial killer praying or killers praying upon men funny boston. funny you there's should about say that. 20 colleges there
4: right <laughs> there's a lot of colleges here in dashville <laughs>
3: and some people have uh, equated it or likened it to the, the mayor of Amityville when they you know when the jaws was out in the water you know you don't want to panic people there's a lot of money involved you know don't, don't do this boston is absolutely since all
1: of the pressure from the public about these cases they are absolutely keeping any case where a young man is found in water under wraps they more so than any
3: other place in
1: america right now
3: and the, the chief of police came out and denied that there. He, it was interesting that he would actually make a public statement, which I found fascinating. A recorded public statement. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's no serial killer in Boston right, or something to that effect. Mm. Mm. But, yeah, there's there's the recent cases. There's probably 10 cases in the last three years, maybe. There's a, some, a lot of Indians recently, you know, a lot of people of Indian descent end up by the water. Yeah. Shriram Jayakumar was one. Yeah, it's just, it's just incredible. It's really When you really study the cases and go into the reach of these types of cases, it's really disturbing. Yes.
4: Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. William, where can people get the film?
3: The film is available on Vimeo. You can watch it. Uh, you can either buy it or you can rent it for a week for like five bucks. It's long. Vimeo.com, look up William Ramsey or the Smiley Face Killers. Um, you can also, if you have a DVD, I just got the DVDs today from the manufacturer, so you can buy a DVD from my website, WilliamRamseyInvestigates.com.
4: Okay, excellent. And uh, guys, uh, what's next for both of you uh, on this and other, any other projects?
3: Well, I would rather not disclose, but the okay. cases are still still talking about it. You know, they're still happening. Still watching the cases. Well, Jim, what are you up to? Um,
1: you know, I'm I'm still working these cases here locally. I mean, uh, I, I, hopefully, there are going to be some some stories coming in the in the next year. There, there are more and more and more people who are starting to open their eyes, and you know, I, I hope to expose uh, to more people about what is happening. That's really my main goal. I mean, Williams very talented. He's, he did a great job with his. Documentary, and you know, our, our goal one of the things we share is just to to warn people, to tell people so this doesn't happen to people. Because uh, you know, I tr- strongly, absolutely believe this is happening. And you know, if people just know what to look for and know that you know what, you're not invincible at 20 years old, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, you make tough, but these people are much
3: tougher. Um, so. Really cold blooded, these are real cold blooded. I have no doubt this phenomenon is taking place. And the victim, you don't want to be a victim of this type of crime. And the families all to a T have been destroyed because of the loss of the loved one at the prime of their life. So, you know, if you're a parent to tell your kid, you know, you're not invincible, you could, you could potentially be drugged. There's some very nasty things things happening out there.
4: Well, guys, thank you so much for coming on. Um, This has been some real food for thought. Um, Very interesting and very disturbing subject. Um, So stay on the line for us, guys. Uh, We're going to close this section out, and we'll be right back on Conspiracy Normal. And we're back. That was an interesting interview.
5: There's a lot more to this than I thought there was. Yes. Like, as far as, like, I, I didn't know it was, like, international phenomenon that they were looking at. I didn't, you know, I didn't know that there was um, literally hundreds of cases that they're looking into. I don't know if that makes me um, more into the idea that it's sort of a, a a planned, connected kind of thing or if it makes me feel more like it's... Um, makes me lean a little more towards the statistical side of things. I definitely have a lot of stuff I want to look into now, though.
0: Because it's international and stuff? <laughs> well, because it's international yeah, yeah.
5: so so widespread and there's so many cases that um, maybe there's some other phenomena at work or, I mean, it might not be some nefarious like dark web inter, like connected kind of thing and maybe it's... <clears throat> You know like like they they even threw out there some sort of um mass copycat type of thing or um I don't know, I don't know it could be anything or just maybe it's just like a, a more of a modern like um social movement in some kind of way like maybe it's just a real convenient way that's like recently been sparked by um social dating sites and things like that where it's just sort of arisen out of some collection of other elements. I don't know. Yeah,
0: they hinted at that too. Yeah. As right. far as like the communications. That in the um, late
4: 90s, that's when you started getting all the dating sites and all this kind of stuff started coming up. Right. Very nascent form, but it was there. Whereas before, they were like,
0: you had like a, a classified ad killers and stuff like that.
4: Yeah. Yeah. That was going on, like the Craigslist killers stuff. And yeah, that was going on, I think, in Long Island around the same time uh and actually, Tom and Jenny has talked about that on one of their the one of their last episodes so yeah that that's interesting too um uh, it's just it's very it's a very like i said before very unsettling aspects to it um just people disappearing and also the fact that it could be a whole group of people. That seems to be kind of coordinated. Almost like there's a very cult like mentality to some of this as well. Uh which we'll talk about that a little more later. But yeah. So if you had any, any thoughts on, on that on this show.
0: Oh, uh, it was it was real interesting. Um I would just I would like to hear someone with a little more on the inside or, or with a little more knowledge, detailed knowledge of the occult and practices and history, kind of delve into it and be able to pick apart some possible symbolism and stuff like that. Right,
4: right. Yeah, it just kind of pop, what popped into my head while we were talking to William in the gym was about the ley line significance. and when Why he, particular places? Yeah, and when he mentioned Truth and Consequences New Mexico... We Both looked at each other because that's does that figure prominently in the downer
0: stuff? Yeah, yeah, it's on the 33rd, pretty close, I think, to the 33rd 33rd degree
4: parallel. parallel. Yep, so uh, there's all that too. And I believe Los Angeles is pretty close to that as well. That's a whole other can of worms, though.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I do want maybe some synchro mystic. Stuff to this, you <laughs> some know, some secret yeah. mystic shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I did want to talk about
4: Adam Parfrey a little bit. Um Had just kind of really been introduced by you to who he was, really, and then he passed away at the towards the beginning of this month at the age of sixty one. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to get you, you know, who was
0: Parfrey? You know, what did he do? well he was a he was a publisher we started feral house which has been like my favorite publisher for a long time and the goal was really to uh publish things that were you know really a, a kind of marginal or push the limits of free speech or wild crazy ideas or suppressed information so i mean it it was all over the place from you know art to conspiracy theory to cultural movements and history and you know it's just really influential uh in spreading a lot of ideas that kind of came to define a lot of the the counterculture of the 90s and and uh late 80s and then beyond of course
4: and he had a book called apocalypse culture
0: yeah i believe that was the first one and it was like a it's a collection of kind of the most the craziest most uh out there obscene ideas Uh, That, you know, he kind of saw as a uh, reflection of the the chaos that, uh, you know, we're living in now or that the the world was, our civilization was going into.
4: Right. Yeah. Uh, He also, what did he publish? Did he publish uh, the King Kill 33 degree? Did he do that? Yeah that, that so, yeah.
0: was well that was in that was just available you know to to the underground pretty much and he first published it in Apocalypse Culture as a you know as the first mass uh, publishing of that and of course he was that was probably most instrumental and in, he also put other Downer tracks in the follow up Apocalypse Culture two and uh, then published the Chronicles of uh, or Carnivals of Life and Death that we reviewed. Okay. Right. But he was friends with a lot of, uh, the counterculture people, the late eighties and nineties, a lot of like the anti PC backlash, uh, Boyd Rice, a lot of people like that.
4: You know, Boyd Rice, like the Satanist.
0: Yeah. 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 Okay. Oh, and he was, right. he was, I'm pretty sure Parfrey was, uh, friends with LaVey also and Farrell House published a few LaVey books. Uh, just all over the place, you know, in that, that kind of late 80s, early 90s uh, counterculture.
4: And he also published the Unabomber, didn't he?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, Apocalypse Culture is a crazy book. There's all kinds of extremists, uh, murder, serial killers, crazy conspiracy theories. I mean, it's just all over the place. Obscene art that had, you know, Supreme Court cases based on it and... Just all the the most out there ideas that were uh, going on at the time. Yeah, this uh, some
4: real, some also real crazy stuff. Um, and we were actually we, you and I had talked about getting him on the show.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, it's pretty unfortunate.
4: Um, well, th- there's a generation out there that's kind of disappearing. Uh, yes, because you know, not too long before that, Brad Steiger who was an uh, author about various Fortiana subjects, he died at the age of, like, I think, 82. And he had Art Bell before that, as we talked about before. So it always kind of comes in threes. Uh, Lauren Coleman is been uh, putting some stuff up on uh, Twilight Language about some of these deaths. All well, these researchers that have died
0: I haven't looked at it since the yeah. last episode. I'm gonna have to check and it out. I'm
4: gonna have to try try to get uh, I'm gonna have to try to get Ken Thomas back on the show when we can talk a little bit about Parfrey because I think him and uh, him and Parfrey had a collaboration.
0: Yeah, they so, did the uh, secrets and secret and suppressed books.
4: Yeah, this is uh, it's important that we try to get some of, get some of these guys on.
0: Absolutely, and I'm just they're, kind they're of around forever. Yeah, I'm worrying that like, man, I was so I feel like I was so dependent on Feral House, you know, and now it's like if if they're not gonna continue, um hopefully, you know, someone'll be able to continue it with the same mission. But uh, you know, I don't I don't know who can really take take that place as far as like large publisher, as far as really nice books. I mean, you've mm-hmm. seen some of the coffee table stuff they got. I mean, it's it's a great publisher but uh hopefully someone will carry the torch yeah well let's hope so you
4: know there's a there's a whole other younger generation coming up so um did you guys hear about the school shooting in santa fe texas
5: no i have not
4: yeah yeah this happened on friday
5: i don't hear news
4: that's probably a good thing
5: i get i get all my news here actually during the podcast <laughs> <laughs>
4: That's probably a good thing that you did not hear about it. But once again, kid walks into a school and starts shooting. This happened on Friday, was that the 18th? May 18th, we're recording this on the uh, 22nd.
0: They were not assault rifles, though, this time. What was it? I believe it was a shotgun.
4: Was it a shotgun? Yeah. So, this was about what, maybe like, I think they said like thirteen kids or something.
0: I don't even know, man. I've got so burned out on it that uh i didn't I kind of tuned it out to be honest, so I thought I'd get you guys'
4: thoughts on this article. um It was said that he get he did this because a girl spurned him at school, and this has been all over Facebook and uh vice actually wrote an article about this. Now, actually they caught the kid, so it's not he gave up, much like the one in uh in Florida. So I'll read this and I'll get you guys kind of thoughts on it. I love some the some of the language in here as well, too. You kind of pick up, you know, vice is obvious political leanings. <laughs> It's only been four days since a student opened fire on a Texas high school, killing 10 people and injuring 13 others, but a narrative is already emerging in the media. A girl had something to do with it. Sadie Rodriguez, a mother of one of the victims, says she was told secondhand by her other children that the alleged shooter Demetrios Pagortzis aggressively pursued her daughter Shanna Fisher before the attack. He kept making advances on her. as She repeatedly told him no. Rodriguez told Los Angeles Times reporters, Rodriguez said, ultimately stood up to Pegorza's and publicly embarrassed him. A week later, he opens fire on everyone he didn't like, she said. But there are doubts about Rodriguez's claim, including reports from family friends. Matt Pierce, one of the journalists who wrote the Los Angeles Times story, tweeted, they're saying that the mom was largely out of her daughter's life, and so they're asking how she would have learned details like that. But no matter its veracity, the claim has worked its way into the narrative of the attack. A BBC story about the Friday shooting at Santa Fe High School is headlined, Shooter Killed a Girl Who Rejected Him Publicly the Previous Week. The Guardian Ran With Mother of Victims Says Her Daughter Rejected Santa Fe Suspects' Advances. As for USA Today, Texas School Shooting Gunman Targeted My Daughter Because She Rejected Him Grieving Mom Says. It actually sends a chilling message to young women, which is, here's the cost of saying no, said C.J. Pascoe, an associate sociology professor at the University of Oregon who studies masculinity and sexuality in high school. What would be really great is if journalists would take that moment to perhaps highlight the expectations of masculinity for young men and to perhaps open a discussion about alternate ways to be a man. People are bombarded with the idea that so-called real men are dominant, competent, and heterosexually successful, explained Pasco. Those messages, which also suggest that women owe men their time and their bodies, can box individuals into an impossible ideal and leave them flailing or worse, lashing out. Research indicates that men who think they're not masculine enough might be more inclined to overcompensate. A 2013 study of more than 100 undergrads at a private university found that men who received feedback indicating that they were feminine tended to have a more negative view of homosexuality and more support for the Iraq war. They also tended to be more interested in buying an SUV. Okay. Threatened well, men, as in, <laughs> as in men who thought their masculinity was under attack, reported feeling more guilty, ashamed, upset, and hostile than unthreatened men, according to the study, which was headed by a Stanford University sociology professor. The worst thing for boys, for young men at least, what they tell me, is to be told that they're not a man, Pascoe said. It doesn't allow them to be their whole selves. I think it leads to problems of male violence like the ones we're seeing right now. Mass shootings in the United States overwhelmingly committed by men are often linked to violence against women. This is at least the second recent shooting at an American school to be publicly connected with romantic rejection. In March, a 17-year-old Maryland student shot two classmates, including 16-year-old Jalen Willie, who had a prior relationship, which recently ended with the shooter, according to a statement by local police. The media seized on that detail as the Associated Press and several publications that syndicate articles from the AP Wire service promptly dubbed the shooter a lovesick teenager. But as Salon.com writer Amanda Marcotte, pointed out on Twitter, there is nothing lovesick about believing a girl is your property and she should die rather than reject you. The lovesick term itself makes it seem as though being rejected is an illness, said Kirsten Gruys, an assistant professor of sociology at the University of Nevada, Reno, who studied how college-age men see masculinity. We need to be teaching young men and boys that when their feelings are hurt, when they feel their love is not returned, that they have control over how they react. There are ways to react that are nonviolent and allow them to actually feel the full range of emotions that human beings feel. Royce went on, we know that our culture makes masculinity in men more powerful and more important than femininity in women. However, even though there's an imbalance of power, that's such a huge problem that men as individuals have very narrow guidelines for what's continued ma- considered masculine. So.
5: Where to start? Um, <laughs> that's. Okay, first of all, I'd like to say, I, I don't care why you did it. Right the fact that i don't know how to put this i've had my feelings hurt many times in the past and i didn't shoot anybody i know mil- i know hundreds hundreds of other people that have been spurned or rejected or whatever and they didn't grab a shotgun and kill a bunch of people that weren't connected to it like this this just, the whole, i don't know this whole thing just seems I don't know. It seems ridiculous. Like the So, okay, so we need to we need to teach we need to teach young men that um if a girl rejects your advances, you shouldn't go out and shoot them. Like we really need to teach that to people.
4: <laughs> yeah.
5: I mean, I I feel like there's there should be responsibility laid at somebody else's feet here, not just the general population. And then that's what I always happens in these cases. It's like, "Oh, it's because all of America teaches boys this or because all of America teaches girls this it's like no this, this dumbass kid just did something horrible and there's probably a, a probably some other thing going on in his life or his family or something that that caused it I don't know I don't know I don't know why this keeps happening in our culture and I'm sure that there is some cultural thing to it because it happens more here than other places but I don't think that's it
4: Agreed Any thoughts on that,
0: Sergio? No, not really, but just how how these things are being politicized. Now, obviously, yes, the majority of violence, the majority of murder, especially mass murder, serial killers like we've been talking about, they absolutely are men. And a lot of that probably does have a lot of... Cultural significance. Um, however, the way that a lot of this stuff, it seems like as soon as it happens, becomes like part of this, the current discussion, battle of the sexes, whatever you want to call it, so soon and becomes, you know, politicized, kind of bothers me, but whatever. I mean, I understand some of the critique, but. It's, I don't know, man. It's almost (laughs) like blaming, you know, it almost feels like the blame is spread so much and people have so many ideas of how they want to reorganize an entire culture. And it's like,
5: that's what I'm saying. How,
0: you know, how are you supposed to do this? But I mean, then again, I don't know. I don't want to be too politically incorrect, but, you know, there's biological basis for. Um, for violence also, it is very cultural, but you know, there are, you know, there, there's a lot of darkness. That's a good
5: point. I think a lot of people want to shy away from the fact that this could be an instinctive biological thing left over from when we were We're running around.
0: We are primates. With clubs, like
5: beating women over the head and dragging off somewhere to try to create children. Like that's, that was our history thousands of years ago and we're dealing with the remnants and trying to act civilized on top of it and you know there probably is there's you know testosterone and various other chemicals and various especially when you're a teenager random things going through your head that not not to justify anything but
0: no but there's terrible there's terrible things within men absolutely yeah
5: but is
0: is a cultural
5: but again, the organization
0: going to be able to stop that?
5: No, and, and also, again, not everybody goes out and reacts this way when these kind of things happen. Like I've had my heart broken many times. Yeah,
0: it's called being civilized. Right. Duh. It's called being moral. It's what society is there for. Um, but I, I don't know. <laughs> the thing is, though, is I don't know how to quite articulate it. Um, but, I mean, this... It's kids, obviously a monster, and uh, I I'm not going to accept blame, you know, for being a man, for uh, being, you know, pretty normative man. Um, and I feel like it's just like ratcheting up this battle of the sexes, you know, right. as soon and, as well, things like this happen. And, and there is, this is one kind of response.
5: There is one shred to that that I do kind of agree with, and it is sort of, um it didn't directly, but, um. I think there is always a lot of blame that should be laid at the parents' feet that isn't. You know, I can't imagine raising a child that would ever imagine, or ever even consider, well, maybe consider doing that, but would never go through with doing it. would never like take it to that kind of extreme. You know, I don't have sons, but like, I still just think that If,
0: yeah, you, if you raised a much? child
5: that was like, that could openly communicate with you, they would come home and be like, yo, this girl did this and that. And, you know, you'd be able to talk it out with them. They wouldn't just like steal a shotgun and go to school and shoot a bunch of people. So I think, I think maybe the disconnect, maybe why a lot of this stuff is happening is because there is a disconnect between parents and children. You know, we're letting PlayStations and cell phones and TVs raise our children. We don't have parents raising our children. And I think that that's. Probably a lot of it. I'm not blaming TV. I'm not blaming PlayStation. I'm not blaming cell phones. I'm directly blaming the parents. You know, talk to your kids <laughs> once in a while. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe.
4: The other thing about the article too is that we don't even know if that story is even really true.
5: Right, because the uh, the mother was. Yeah, it's just instantly
0: being yeah being politicized into this
4: right. The she made a statement. Of something that she had heard possibly second or third hand. She told the uh, whatever media was there on the ground. And it got run with as a story. And then gets posted all over Facebook. And so we have no real way of even knowing unless the killer himself says it. And, that that was the that that had anything to do with the I mean, motivation there, there, of killing their girl.
0: Yeah, there are problems with you know male entitlement in our society. And just look at all the sexual violence. I mean, it's it's absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. it's terrible. Um, but where is it in that? Where is it in society's narrative that like it gets to that level? I mean, I just I don't I I don't know if that's you know oh this is a consequence of you know I don't. I guess what, what, what they would call rape culture or something like that. Like, does this really, uh, is this a consequence of that, that a mass murder? I mean, I don't, well, I don't know.
5: I do agree with the sort of like the, the statement that, you know, there's, um, it's insulting to women when you say, oh, that, you know, if you tell a boy, oh, you run like a girl where it's also, I think it's just as bad if you tell a boy like who hurts himself and a you know, young boy and he's crying, oh, be a man. I think it's just as damaging in both cases. And
0: one thing I want to bring up though, also is that, um, you know, the, in, in the, what's not recognized is in the, in the male world too, growing up is that no matter how much you try to you know, make a male more sensitive, he's got to deal with other males. And that is where, you know that's where it really goes down, and that's yeah. where people really get hardened and become the monsters. You know, I feel like so.
5: It's true. Well, there, yeah. There's there's a
0: lot. of There's a lot of aspects that you know are in this, but I, I just feel like it's so uh, it's so politicized that you know even myself right now. I mean, it's like I, I feel like oh oh shit, who's gonna hear this and all? Oh, everyone's gonna well, judge exactly. me. Yeah, you, you want to you know, be it's, PC it's about it. It's not a but, conversation like, that people can really have.
5: Well, you know, like look at like say like. You know when I when I was
0: and I'm not one of the I'm absolutely not one of these like men's rights people or no, these types no. you know at all
5: like we're, we're not we're not in the red pill club or whatever the hell yeah, that's called the manosphere. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but like you said though, there's there's other elements like that where you know when I was a teenager, um, I had a hard time with dating simply because I was sort of a sensitive guy. You know, I was into art and music. Yeah, same and, here, same here, man. And. You know, I saw all these girls that I like dating these like asshole macho dudes, not to lay the blame on young women for being attracted to that kind of thing, but it's just a general truth. You know, a a lot of women, I'm not going to say all, but a lot of women are attracted to that kind of macho mentality and it breeds more of that macho mentality. So, but at the same time, you can't just like put out an edict and like, you know, uh, run a news story saying that, oh, young girls should not be attracted to this anymore because it's going to turn in, it's going to start breeding serial killers.
0: You know, something interesting on that real quick. I remember, uh, the, uh, what was the documentary about the, the cult, uh, the, uh, cult of that guru out in, um, a wild, wild country. Yes. Now, after that came out, I saw so many men posting on social media, how strangely attracted they were to the woman who was the, like de facto liaison leader. And so it was basically oh, them yeah. saying, like, oh, my God, you know, I'm attracted to this monster, domineering, mind-controlling, violent person. <laughs> and then the, at the same time, the Sounds conversation— like my, my ex-wife. Well, at the same time, the conversation <laughs> was on, like, was on, uh, you know, during the Me Too stuff. And, you know, I think a, a lot of women are attracted to monsters as well. Mm-hmm. Um and that has a play. Yeah. I mean it you know, not it's, not to And not,
5: again, I think it goes way back to like ancient instinctual stuff that is just hard for us to override and overcome and even talk about.
0: But yeah, we're that's the thing is but the conversation I think the parameters of the conversation are being set up to where, you know, no one really feels comfortable and a lot of biological things can't be acknowledged because uh the culture is, you know, being held as 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 way more uh way more important, which I think culture is very important. And I do believe in a lot of, uh, nurture over nature, but there's also a lot of nature, I think, but that's totally, I mean, it's, it's becoming, you know, so politically incorrect that I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah,
4: it's, um, it it just, everything becomes so muddled in our culture and our society. Uh, that's uh, and everything has to be. Everything has to have a cause. So, but we have the cause of Conspiranormal. normal, and uh, we have the cause of getting more money for our Patreon
5: <laughs> and evicting the squirrels
4: and evicting the squirrels.
5: Which they're gone now, by the way. I haven't. I haven't seen any squirrel this in a while. Good. So, do you don't hear any? No, no. I think Molly got them all. God bless her that's Uh, good my little squirrel slayer did you
4: like my squirrel impression there
5: that was pretty good yeah
4: (laughs) so tell everybody where they can find our patreon rob
5: yeah we do we've got a lot of i think 12 now bonus episodes up there and more to come Um, Mm a lot of great bonus content you can find it at patreon.com slash conspiranormal and if you don't want to subscribe and you just want to do a one-time donation to help the show out you can do that at our website at conspiranormal.com and if you want to support the show, but you don't want to spend any money, you can always just give us a good five-star uh, review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen, and just tell your friends about us.
4: Absolutely. And uh, next time, guys, we're going to talk to Rojan RazorWire, which uh, we may or may not have already recorded like a week ago. L and I did. <laughs> or may have not. May, may not have. May, may not. Uh, and uh, there's also going to be another section to that show as well. So stay tuned, guys, and we will talk to you next time on Conspiranormal! Conspiranormal!